Before we jump into the very last week of our Lenses series, uh, I just want to remind us of something that Jolene taught us last week. It's that when we're encountering injustice or difficult circumstances, we need to be people of action, but action driven by a reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's so easy for me to get this wrong, to be all prayer and no action, or all action and no prayer. So I really appreciate that reminder that you guys got to hear from Jolene uh, for the very first time last week. Hey, we're about to dig in, and if you have a Bible with you or you want to use the Bible tab or pull up version on your phone, we're going to be um, in Galatians 5 in just a few moments. Um, but let me open us up with a word of prayer. Jesus, we come to you, and we open up these scriptures, not just to learn what the pages say, but to learn about who you are and whose we are in you, who we are in you. God, I pray that you'd remind us of your goodness and help us to remember the identity that we have in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So in my personal abiding or devotional times over the past week or so, I've been reading and rereading through the book of Galatians. And something that's interesting about this book is that it is not easy to get through. It's filled with rebuke and challenge. There's some dissension between early followers and leaders in the early church. There's some difficult passages to wade through. But I wanted to just jump right in, if that's okay with you. So I'm in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now that presents some very vivid images, but Paul writing about this is talking about being enslaved to the law. Empty rituals and practices that because of the goodness of Jesus are no longer necessary to be in the presence of the Father, to be in close connection with Jesus. And in all of these chapters, there's some debate going on as to what laws, what traditions um, from Judaism or from our perspective in the Old Testament needed to be brought over or needed to be applied to new followers of Jesus, some which did not come from Jewish origin, some who were, as Scripture calls them, Gentiles, someone like me. And what's really interesting about this whole idea and maybe this is the big idea for tonight, is that we need to realize that our lens as believers is freedom. But the thing is, we're not just freed from something, sin and difficulty and death, but we are freed for something. And more importantly, for someone. We are freed so that we can live an abundant life, so that we can be the very best followers of Jesus, giving God glory. And it's a really interesting line to demarcate. It's Christianity isn't about becoming a better me. It's about becoming who I was designed to be, empowered by the Spirit, blessed by the Father, and pursued by Jesus. In Galatians 5, we read about freedom in Christ. And today, in our Lenses series, I want to talk about things that would help us in the day-to-day -day of life, habits and rhythms that would position us to hear from Jesus often. And I started with this passage because it's important to note that the spiritual disciplines or the practices, the rhythms, the habits, whatever word you want to use that we're going to talk about, we don't do that to get God's attention. We do that to give him our attention. Do you see the difference? And it's kind of, I can illustrate it with fasting, right? When we fast food or water for a set amount of time in prayer, it's not so that our prayers can jump on a free rate right to the ears of God. 
It's so that we can put aside things that are earthly, put aside good things, food and water, and say that our greatest need isn't for physical sustenance, but for spiritual sustenance. And the disciplines, as Dallas Willard talks about them in Renovation of the Heart and Renovation of the Heart and Daily Practice, is the disciplines are what we do so that God can do only what He can do. In other words, the disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, giving generously to those in need, those are just a couple, but those aren't an end to themselves. They really are just one of several ways that we can connect with God. It can be real easy, whether we're in version, checking out our latest streak, whether we've got our journal and stacks of journals we've gone through, it can be really easy to make the disciplines the goal. But the goal is always to understand more and more the goodness of Jesus and then to begin to look like him, to begin to live like him. And that's the radical thing about following Jesus. It doesn't just give us this example to follow. It gives us a model as to how we are to live. In the book Prototype, the author talks about Jesus as being the prototype to what it means to live empowered by the Spirit, driven by the will of the Father. So the life of Jesus isn't one for us just to put in paintings and stained glass windows. It's one that is a blueprint for our lives. It gives us a glimpse into what it means to love those who don't belong in society or in culture. It gives us an idea as to the importance of prayer and understanding the will of the Father, working that His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It also gives us a great picture of relationships. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is where Jesus is appearing to people after his death and resurrection. Sorry for the spoiler, but he is appearing to people and he's like having meals. He's eating with them. I think one of the passages says he's eating fish on the beach. Like we see that Jesus doesn't just exist as this religious prophet, but this person, love embodied, and he has relationships and friendships. He experiences hurt and betrayal time and time again. The life of Jesus is one that we can emulate, but not in our own strength. But the spiritual disciplines help us bridge the gap between the best we can do and who God has called us to be. So as we begin to unpack that, I want to encourage you with two things. The first one is this. No matter where you are in your faith journey, you can begin to engage with the spiritual disciplines. The second thing is this, no matter where you are in your faith journey, there's probably room for you to grow in the spiritual disciplines. Even for me, as a follower of Jesus for many years, getting to serve students in a pastoral role over the past decade or so, there are still areas of my spiritual life that need to grow. There are still disciplines that I need to put in front of me. There are things that I can do to position myself to hear from God. Now, I want to share something that was shared with me, and it's a little hard to hear, but I think that it's important for all of us. It's that you're as close to God as you choose to be. Now, I know that may sound a little bit crazy because we hear of these wilderness or desert experiences or being in the valley, but in my life group, we're talking through the Gospel of Luke, and Daniel and I are seeing that John the Baptist is a voice in the wilderness. God loves speaking into difficult circumstances. And if I look back on my, my time in college and those desert seasons, I'll just be really candid. That for me, those were often self-imposed isolation. 
I wasn't positioning myself well to engage with Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that God and I don't fight anymore, that we still don't disagree on how the universe should be ran. There are still passages in scripture that are extremely difficult for me to grapple with, let alone teach and then live out in my own life. The thing that we need to be reminded of is that we have agency. We have the choice to pursue Jesus. Now, before I get ahead of myself, this is a response. We aren't pursuing him and he's not playing hide and seek. He pursued us at creation. He pursued us through the cross. And I'm sure that even in this community, whether you're brand new or you've been a part of Chi Alpha for years, he has somehow used this community as imperfect as it is to pursue you. And so the question before us is how will we respond? How will we respond day to day? The early church, the first believers of Jesus, often called the way. They gathered together every day to have meals together and to hear teaching. Don't worry, we're not going to have Thursday night service every night. And unfortunately, we cannot send Grubhub gift cards every single day. But the principle that we can apply is that faith isn't designed to be once a week or to be a segment or part of our story. It's meant to be the lens So we are Christian, a follower of Jesus first, and then we engage the world around us, whether through activism, through politics, through friendships, through vocation, through relationships, family, romantic, or otherwise. The thing that can be so easy for us to forget, the busier that we are, is that being a follower of Jesus isn't one thing or a good thing that Jesus actually asked to be made the thing. It's why some of us can appreciate the image of Jesus as Savior, but then struggle with the image of Jesus as Lord. Very few of us would sign up to be under lordship in any other area of our life. We're saying, I'm no longer in control. I'm going to trust you, and then I'm going to let my priorities and passions be driven by your priorities and passions. But what I love about Jesus is that he's incredibly benevolent. And some of the stories that he tells the disciples, he reminds them, That he doesn't view them or view us as servants, but as children. Galatians says that as co-heirs, receiving an inheritance with Jesus. That's how the Father views us and that's how Jesus sees us. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear a talk like this or it's around the new year and you've got a stack of resolutions in your mind already. And it can be so easy to have a good two, three, four days, maybe with some big goals, And then you kind of fall off and then you forget until another message like this. I was reading on Lifehacker the other day that it's actually the moment when you break your habit and resume it that the habit really sticks in your mind. Which kind of to me sounds like the gospel. It's not about not sinning and then finding perfection. As Brennan Manning talked about it, it's learning to fall forwards towards Jesus. So the spiritual disciplines. And I'll just highlight a few of them. It's a personal abiding time or devotional time. You might call it a quiet time. And in that, the hope is that there's reading of scripture, there's worship, there's prayer, and that that is something that takes place daily. Now, you might be really ready to type in the chat box your question. Is it mornings? Is it evenings? Which is better? Now, scripture doesn't give us an answer to that, but I'll provide an opinion of mine. The answer would be both. 
Spurgeon modeled this well as so many church fathers and mothers that maybe it's important to begin and end our day with our attention focus on Jesus. And then there's some other spiritual disciplines that maybe we don't really think of in that way. Richard Foster talks about celebration being a discipline, community gathering, shared meals, or Jolene's favorite word, fellowship, right? There are these things that draw us to one another under the fatherhood of God. And so this is where it becomes really practical. Gatherings like this, or this gathering on Thursdays, gatherings like life groups or things like them become incredibly important to the believer. Now, I'm not saying that this message is about preaching you into commitment at Chi Alpha, but this is really hoping, my hope is to inspire and challenge you to plug into somewhere like Chi Alpha or Chi Alpha and to do so regularly. Here's, here's the reality, is that we spend our time on the things that we value the most. You can look at my calendar, my Venmo balance, my Google Drive, and you can see what my lived out priorities are. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we've made that commitment publicly. We've probably made that decision intentionally, personally. Maybe we've even taken the step of being baptized in water. What's interesting about the early church and Christian community in the first century is community wasn't optional when it pertained to following Jesus. In other words, for Paul, there was no framework that you could follow Jesus alone. Even Jesus models doing ministry together amongst friends, learning, growing, and laughing. So I do want to talk about abiding time, that you could have a daily time where you're not reliant on an organization, you're not reliant on another sermon, but you can, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, meet with him daily. But then also, you can live into some rhythms, into some practices collectively that'll help you make sure that your faith, although personal, never becomes private. And I know we struggle with this in an individualistic society, but Jesus is calling us to himself. And in all the portraits we see of revival, of healing, of miracles, man, Jesus is doing it y'all style, not you or you alone, but he is calling a collective unto himself. That's why we think of the family of God or being brothers or sisters. It's more than just nice language. It should describe our reality. Oh, and you should also be very plugged in to the local church. Here's the thing. After college, the local church is going to be your primary way of engaging with believers. And there is not a way forward for you to follow Jesus without being near others. Because then your faith will unintentionally become very self-centered and self-motivated. And sometimes I need others around me so that I can see God from their perspective and get clarity on who he's revealing himself to be. What I want to make sure that we understand today is that these spiritual habits or practices, they're really a gift to us. Now, you might be asking the question, what if it feels dutiful? What if it feels like I'm just going through the motions? And that's a great question. And I think I want to kind of talk about something that's a little sensitive. I think because authenticity is such a cultural value that certainly has its biblical 
kingdom of heaven counterpart in authenticity, vulnerability, integrated living, and confession. But I think sometimes we shoot for authenticity and disengage from things that seem dutiful, and we forget that in the mind and heart of God, He's looking for people that would be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Another way to put it is like this, is that you and I might value authenticity as a top characteristic, but God views obedience as his top characteristic. And the slightly confusing thing about Christianity is that it's an obedience that becomes a blessing. Maybe you have a story from your childhood where your mom or your aunt or a grandparent or a relative, they, they asked you, they made you be obedient and either in that moment or because of an incident or years later, you realize that those guidelines were actually a gift to your development. Those guidelines helped you to be safe. Those rules and regulations allowed you to grow into a responsible human being, a kind and compassionate citizen. Maybe that's not your family story. And so viewing God as father, hearing the word obedience or thinking of spiritual authority is a little bit challenging. And I get that. We've seen it done wrong so many times in culture, in religious life, in Christian community. But Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinthians, has a really interesting principle. He basically says, when you see something that's going wrong, don't discard that completely, but find a way to do it right. One of the Renaissance authors put it like this, the best critique is through creating. It's one of the reasons that we believe in mission teams and mission trips. Not because we love the idea of short-term work, popping in and playing savior for a week. No, we see so many examples of short-term mission trips done poorly we want to offer a critique by creating a different way. We always want to be analytical and critical, but from our mind and not our heart. And the difference is this, a critical mind looks for ways forward and solutions, and a critical heart looks for what's wrong and for reasons to disengage. And now more than ever, I'm on Facebook too, my temptation is to be critical, to be critical of heart or spirit with other believers, with other churches, sometimes even with other ministries or members of my own family. But Jesus calls us to something greater, and he calls us to something higher. I want to read Galatians 5 one more time. I'm going to skip down to verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6, stick with me. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, you might be unlike these Galatian believers who are arguing over making sure that Gentile men converting to Christianity need to be circumcised. That's probably a non-issue for you. But it does point to something that's real in each of our hearts. And I struggle with this. The idea of grace is so big that sometimes I do want to be under a law or under a ritual or under a spiritual formula so that I can take some credit or maintain some 
semblance of control. Because the issue here isn't really circumcision, it's how do we relate dynamically to the person of God? And are we willing to be in the posture of child and learner? Or do we want to become experts and then invite others to follow us? Circumcision was never pleasant, still is not pleasant. But in verse 5, in chapter 5, what we're finding out is that the human condition, the human heart, is one that when it experiences grace and love freely, when it experiences freedom, sometimes our first reaction is to create new rules, new standards, to become fundamentalist in a terrible way. Maybe you're hearing this message and you're like, man, I've got to be in my Bible every day, 30 minutes a day. And then that becomes your thing. And then you measure yourself and others by that standard. That's a good practice, but a terrible standard. It's a bad standard because Jesus just requires us to believe and confess and try to follow him. It's a good practice because the more I read scripture, the more I learn and am reminded of who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis talked about this in Mere Christianity, quoting Dr. Johnson, who I don't know who Dr. Johnson is. That's all the book told me. But he says that most of us as believers don't necessarily need more instruction. We need more reminders, reminders of what is true and good and right. And today I want to remind you that, yes, Jesus and his spirit are here whether you're praying with someone right now, whether you're in the chat box, whether you're sitting alone in your dorm wondering how 2020 could get even more difficult. Jesus is meeting you there. He's meeting in your life groups with you. When you're on Zoom or FaceTime with the student leader or a staff member, he's there. But he's also there the rest of the time. And the way that we remind ourselves of that is by reading scripture, by praying by singing. Sometimes our delight doesn't kick in until we've been dutiful for a while. So I want to encourage you in that. If you're trying out the spiritual disciplines or you're trying to translate your routine from college now as you're doing college at home, or maybe you left the house and you're somewhere else with friends or roommates and you're trying to figure out how do your habits translate. I want to remind you of this. It's that, man, Jesus is waiting for you to say yes to his invitation to meet more frequently with him. Maybe you want to invite somebody else into that devotional or abiding time. That's totally okay. That's how the early church did it. It was personal, but it wasn't private. But God wants to meet with you. He's not mad at you. He's for you. He sees in you not just your mistakes, but he sees marks of fullness and health and holiness. He sees you as his child. Now, as probably the only parent that's part of Chi Alpha, uh, I can say this, is that my son Jeremiah, um, he's a really good kid. I think he's pretty cute too. He just started virtual kindergarten a few days ago. But there are times when he does things that drive me crazy, whether it's not listening, throwing his clothes or sandals where they're not supposed to be. But see, my love never changes for him. Even when he does something, you know, terrible for a five-year-old, maybe he calls me a name or, or kind of gets a little bit too excited when we're wrestling and, and, and tries to punch me or push me, I'm never, I'm never questioning who he is or who he is to me. In those moments when I need to 
firmly and lovingly discipline him. I'm doing that so that he can become next year, the year after that, in the future, a whole healthy human. I'm doing it for his growth and for his future. In Chi Alpha, I hope that you're comforted by many things that are said and done, but I also hope that you're challenged. One of the roles that we have as believers is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And we see that happening in this cultural moment. As the news happens, tragedy after tragedy, as we see minorities in this country continuing to feel the weight of difficulty and violence and forgotten dreams, we're not to enter that space offering solutions or Christian cliches. But Jesus would have us lament, to be with, to sit next to, to support. Now, I'm a fixer. I love fixing things, whether it's in my marriage, with my son, with our staff team. I love fixing. I remember one time I was talking with a staff member and they shared a struggle. And I said, oh, let's just change that date and fix that. And the staff member said, Blaine, I, I, I appreciate that, but I wasn't looking for you to fix it. I just wanted to let you know how I felt. Can I encourage you as a believer that you would create space in your life to let people fill their emotions and to not judge them by their emotions, not to think that your emotions would be in a different place were you in their shoes. See, Jesus calls us to be engaged in the messiness of life with those around us, those that are followers of Jesus and those that aren't. But interestingly, in Paul's letters, he often encourages us to be sure that we love those that are followers of Jesus in the family of God, that we especially love them. And that's interesting because we typically think of Christianity as an external showing compassion to the world. But in the Gospel of John, we find out that people will know that we are Jesus people by how we treat other Jesus people. And I know you've probably been hurt by a Christian or Christian community or church, right? It's imperfect. It's broken. We are way far from heaven's reality of the family of God. But it's about getting back up. It's about re-engaging, finding not a perfect, but a healthy set of Christian believers that can encourage you, equip you, and challenge you. So to close, I just want to read one more verse in verse 7. I'm sorry, in chapter 5, verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Here's my prayer for us as we reflect. What are the things that prevent us from running a good race? Is it distractions? Is it our own ideas? Is it our own set of rules and restrictions that we kind of cling to amidst, amidst this chaotic world? And Paul isn't offering this rebuke of the Galatians or this rebuke of us just so that we would be corrected, but so that we would be restored. Anytime you come in Scripture to a correction, know that it's because somebody wants you to be restored to the Father. I want to pray for you. God, I pray that every person listening would be able to, with your help, see areas where we have, and we've missed it, where we have... We've not followed you the way we've wanted. We've not responded in love to those around us. God, that there are things that are distracting us from running a good race. God, I thank you for the gentle rebukes that we hear in Scripture, even the hard rebukes. 
because it calls us back into relationship and alignment with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.